This is the Q&A podcast for Salem Presbyterian Church. From time to time, we take questions on topics ranging from the Bible, theology, spirituality, daily life, and culture. You can submit a question on our website by visiting salempresws.org. That's salempresws.org. Click on Community and Ask Anything. You can also listen to our sermon podcast to catch up on the preaching at Salem Pres. But don't just engage with us online. Something spiritually unique happens when God's people are together. We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. The music for our podcasts comes from Jared Meyer of Solitude Sessions. So the first question I think is uh, one we could riff on for a little while. Okay. And um, it's, do all Christians go through periods of intense doubt? What does this mean? What should we do? And then I'll just read the second question too. I'm in a spiritual rut, not praying much, not reading scripture much. I think about these things a lot, but the follow through isn't there. I feel a lot of guilt when I'm in these ruts and I sense it borders on unhealthy. Not so much asking for advice on how to get out of the rut, more interested in what you would say to encourage folks who are in ruts and who are afraid God is disappointed in them or mad at them. So maybe we can just kind of have a conversation around both of those mm-hmm. things if you're... Um, have, <clears throat> I guess I could, I'll ask you first. Have you ever experienced a season of intense doubt? Definitely have. And... Uh... Some of it is like where I'm actually encountering objections that seem like they are really difficult to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I'm like consciously, I'm reading books or having conversations. That kind has not come up that much. And that might be because I was an atheist first. Yeah. But what has been really, really, really hard, and even last night was really hard, was just these nighttime feels like attacks of uh intense doubt to the point of like i remember last night uh i woke up and just i just thought i can't preach tonight because i don't believe any of this but then as soon as i woke up i uh like rebuked the devil which i could describe <laughs> later if you and then it like just just just, just that rebuke the devil <laughs> Um, and then after doing that, I was like, there, there was nothing actually that I was rational. Like it was nothing actually there that I truly, but I think the thing that makes it more difficult for me than anything to believe is eternity. Hmm. I cannot get my mind around living, going on and on and on. Have you struggled with belief in God himself since becoming a Christian? I mean, those nighttime attacks of doubt definitely directed at God yes yeah everything like there's like it's it's like total nihilism nothing there's nothing nothing means anything um but not in my like conscious um not as much although it might be there and it's coming out at night so I don't I don't know hmm. 
has it happened for a long period of time for you ever, or is it mostly these sort of acute bursts? Never had like a never had one of those dark nights of the soul that I can think of. Okay. Um, Do you want to explain what that phrase means? Yeah, it's like a dark night of the soul. I think it might have been John of the Cross who developed Saint that. John of the Cross. Yep. And it just meant a long period of really not being sure if God was even there. Mm-hmm. I believe he meant it in a positive way. Um, I think he commended that. That's an important part of spiritual growth. Yeah, I remember learning in church history that like almost everyone who I remember my professor would talking about that phrase and saying that almost everyone who uh, leads the church goes through some sort of crucible like that. Yeah. And um, Mother Teresa went mm-hmm. through that for most of her the latter part of her life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, in turn, I've had two seasons that were pretty surprising. So I, like you, became a Christian when I was 18. You were 21, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I came out of sort of an agnosticism, different, an ambivalence towards spirituality, which is different than you. Because uh, you were an atheist. Yeah, you were never then a convinced atheist. But I, No, but I think I had such a romantic view of the world. Yeah. And such a uh, lack of understanding of science that um, I was just like, there's probably, there's got to be something out there. <laughs> yeah. And so, you were raised Catholic, whereas I didn't. So you had something in your DNA that I had That's not, right. I had just nothing there. Yeah. Wait, um, were you baptized? No. As a kid? You, no. you were baptized as an adult? No, my parents took us to church. Okay. And they told us that they didn't believe it. Okay. Um, but it was important for aesthetic reasons, community reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was baptized in the Catholic church and then went to Catholic church in my younger years and then went to Catholic school in my later years, but we don't really know what happened, but we stopped going to mass. Hmm. Um, did you take the Lord's suffering? I did. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I did. I, I wouldn't say I knew anything of. Yeah. I, I remember when I heard the gospel, and I was like, uh, as you articulated it tonight, yeah. and it was uh, radically new to me. I had never heard anything like that, and that's not a criticism of Catholics. I, yeah, because that's um, because that I do is think their beliefs. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, <laughs> on the flip side. This is not for today, but there is a great discussion to have about justification yeah. since that came up tonight. But, However, okay, so I have a bunch of thoughts on this because I was surprised to go through a pretty intense season of doubt. I don't know if you remember this, but... That's when you read the James Smith book? Yes, right before that. Mm-hmm. When I first got ordained, I had never doubted. I had one season after I left the church because I had a really bad experience, which I've talked about before in a church where I really struggled to grasp Christianity and like the imminence of Christ and the Holy spirit. I never stopped believing in God, but like the church and the doctrines of the faith became less and less firm for me for a season, Mm -hmm. but I never lost any faith in that time. Um, in fact, I really still loved God and wanted to worship him and claw my way back to that. 
But then I, I distinctly remember being with Aaron's family in West Virginia in a cabin. And I had just started working as a pastor and I'd worked in ministry on and off for like 10 years, but I just didn't think about how different it felt to have to, um, even if you're leading, there's something different about having to teach mm-hmm. people regularly with authority, not just that you're someone who went to seminary, but like you're charged with it. And I remember looking out over this sort of canyon in West Virginia and just thinking, I don't know if I if there's anything else out there other than this world. Mm-hmm. And that and I told you that. And yeah, I remember that Wake Forest terrified me. Yeah, it's in Wake Forest. And then you were like, "There's a new book out," <laughs> and and it's uh, it was "How Not to Be Secular" by James K. Smith, mm-hmm. which is a, which is sort of a reduction of Charles Taylor's. A secular age, and I I read both of them now. And you read the secular age, yeah, and they changed my life a lot mm-hmm. and restored my beliefs, but also helped me per, sort of diagnose all these factors that were impacting my lack of awareness that God was real. Mm-hmm. So if you're in that place, I think that. It's a very cerebral book. If you wanted to have coffee and talk about the concepts, I would be really into that. It's worth doing that. The only other thing I'll mention, and then I'll rip it back to you, is um, is that in addition to The Dark Knight of the Soul, Eugene Peterson, who is sort of a hero of mine, I think, I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but um, he went through, he called it The Badlands. And he went through a season of five years uh-huh. in his early pastoral life that he called the Badlands, where he didn't know if he believed. And he felt this struggle. You heading out, Ed? Yeah. We'll see you, buddy. Good to we be with you. you. <laughs> we love you, too, Ed. I'll give y'all a call in the next day or so. That sounds wonderful. Okay. The Badlands? Yeah, the Badlands. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, Coming back to do all Christians go through periods of intense doubt, what does it mean? What would you take from some of what we just threw out in our own lives? I'd say it's likely to happen. Mm-hmm. Me too. And the Psalms have so much doubt in them that it seems like it's part of the regular life of God's people to, mm-hmm. to experience that. Um, so when they said, what does it mean? I don't think it means a lack of faith at all. I don't either. I think it's um, it's living in a world that is opposed to God, that that suppresses the knowledge of God, like mm-hmm. Paul said, and that that uh, it's kind of a conspiracy about like let's hush that up, and we're very confused about God. Mm-hmm. So it's just that it's going to be very hard to keep believing in that world. There's a ton of stuff. Charles Taylor is is really too complicated to unpack, but to do him a grand disservice and reduce him to one idea. <laughs> there is one thing that Jamie Smith does a great job of synthesizing in his his little uh, compilation of Charles Smith, Charles Taylor's ideas, where he talks about the Taylor's idea of the imminent frame moving towards closure, and the idea is that 
we are living in this time where we are, I mean, we sent a rocket to outer space yesterday mm-hmm. that was developed by a guy whose company uh, developed, you know, the modern electric car. And um, we have these phones that, I mean, your watch is getting text messages to your phone. We're, our church isn't gathering right now. Yeah. And uh, you can find everything on GPS, on a, on a map app. You can predict the weather far more reliably, which is actually something that Taylor talks about in his book. And so it gives us this false sense of the imminent frame being all of reality. Now, if that went one of your songs. over your head, yeah, which it would go over my head too. I had to read that <laughs> a lot of times. Um, Jamie Smith describes it as like, like being inside of a stadium where the arena ceiling closes yeah, and then you become conditioned to think there's nothing beyond the arena. And I think that that's where I was so helped to know that it's, you can't, but go through some doubt in our current cultural societal state because we're moving from 300 years of modernism where everyone was so sure we could figure everything out and now we're realizing well we don't we don't know if we have figured anything out there's a lot of things that we thought we scientifically understood Mm -hmm. like um like you you grew up in the 70s right Mm -hmm. so do you remember global cooling that was a thing that apparently happened in the <laughs> 70s where people were very worried about global cooling. <laughs> Funny and, to think about. And uh, that's not, not, it's not happening right now. We're not dealing with global cooling. Um, okay, I have a follow-up question. Go ahead. I would just add to that that uh, I think um, like ESPN has probably created way more atheists than like Christopher Hitchens Richard Dawkins, Daniel okay, Dennett, all put together. Yeah. Because well, who it are just, those people first? Oh, they're all famous atheists that they. And they're part of the new atheists. The new atheists. Which are yeah. sort of known for being like uh, evangelical about they're it. Even, they want to yes. spread it. Yeah. Okay, keep going. And there yes. are people that have, you know, bought their books and listened to them and really become strong atheists. Yes. Yeah. But it's really the eminent frame thing where. You know, you're in a restaurant, you just see screens everywhere and ESPN, everything you talk about, everything about like sports, sports, sports. Yeah. And that is what makes people think this is all there is. Yeah. This is the most important stuff we're talking about. And now that sports is gone, I hope, I'm hoping that the imminent frame will somewhat open a little bit back up. Yeah. Although, would you say that the the news cycle is also <laughs> just as it is, it is. much that? But I almost feel like more people watch sports than the news cycle. Okay. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a guy and... But I think it's, I think. You just made women, two strong claims I there. Yeah, I think women watch ESPN a lot too. <laughs> so. You know, I was going to pick on you for that, but then I, I don't know if there's going to be any women in our church who are. Who are big ESPN. Really fans. mad at you for not including them in there. <laughs> Maybe two. I can think of two. Okay. Um, so that's a, that's an interesting idea. So you're saying that um, more than having our cognitive like rational center yeah. be challenged in whether yeah. or not God is real. We're sort of being deceived into thinking all at the same time. One, I'm uh, a competent, capable, capable, rational creature who can figure things out. 
and you're being conditioned all day to think, well, I like my food just comes, I buy it. Mm -hmm. I'm able to get food. I'm, I'm not dependent on whether there's a storm on whether I survive. Mm -hmm. And in fact, like I can just consume media news sports especially yeah and that that will just condition us to be like i don't know if god is real yeah 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 exactly and that that kind of fits right into c.s lewis's screw tape letters oh yeah because like one... right when it opens yeah it says like as soon as he gets out of like a library yeah. or something it says <laughs> don't try to convince him that what he's just read is wrong just make him notice the number nine bus as it goes by and start <laughs> yeah. thinking about that. Yeah. It's amazing how he kind of anticipated yeah. Charles Taylor in that way. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Okay, so then theologically, what um what about the perseverance of the saints? And what do we do with oh. like Hebrews six? Oh, okay. Or um this is like a change of subject. Well, I'm just thinking or for this... people who are struggling with doubt, are they oh, like not could they saved? not be saved? Yeah, I, this is like, this kind of annoys me about evangelicalism is that there's this idea that a lot of people might really want to believe in God and might really want to go to heaven and God's like, nah, you didn't, <laughs> you were, you, you know, you were, you were terrible at believing. And people always quote that, uh, you know, many will say, Lord, Lord, and we do all these things. They yeah. say, I never knew you. Yes. And they're all scared that like they've been on mission trips. They they think they love God, but really, actually, they don't. And Calvinism has perpetuated that a little bit with the whole election thing. Mis- mm-hmm. When it's mishandled, when it's mishandled. Yeah, mishandled. It's actually supposed to do the opposite, right? So I would say if you're worried that you might not be saved, you probably are saved. I would almost yes. guarantee you're saved. God is not going to turn anyone away that is desperate for His mercy. Are there people who genuinely experienced God? who then don't believe that he exists. Genuinely experience God? I mean, it depends on how you define experience, I think. Like if, yeah. I mean, who believed genuinely? Oh, genuinely believed, no, no. And they might, they might go through periods of great doubt, maybe uh-huh. for decades of just kind of yeah. squashing it and holding it down. But if you just go to the thief on the cross or, you know, he is the guy who was crucified next to Jesus. Yeah. Um, it doesn't take any period of time. It doesn't require like yes. X number of years. <laughs> you don't yeah. have to put in any hours. It's like the parable of the workers. They got there the last yeah, hour. Yeah, I was thinking of that parable. I mean, what, say that parable. The parable of the last hour. Like this guy hires, he's, a, he's hiring day laborers. He comes at nine in the morning. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'll pay you, you know, $10 yeah. an hour. Why not? $10 for the $10, day. Yeah. $10. Then he comes back an hour later. He said, I'll pay you $10 hour later and there's this last group that works one hour and gets the same amount yeah and all the people that started working in the morning get really mad at him. yeah and jesus says i told you i was gonna pay you ten dollars i paid you ten dollars yeah you know who are you to be upset if i'm generous to them so but for people who believed and then are going through a season where they just really don't believe for them there is comfort right mm-hmm. that they they can claw back from that yeah not them but that like God has not let them go. No, he will not let you go. Yeah. And uh, William Cooper is one of my favorite hymn writers. And he uh, ended up committing suicide because he was so depressed. And John Newton tried to, like, encourage him his whole life, you know, to Mm -hmm. keep going, keep going. 
and he did enter back into like periods of real strong belief um but then in the end he he just he doubted too much but i have no doubt at all that he's um he loved god so much Mm -hmm. and he's there with him now yeah that i feel like we have to have a whole other conversation about salvation and election and how people how yeah versus like the sheeps and the goat and the wheat and the tare because yeah there is something in our what you were saying about american evangelicalism that sort of makes it seem like uh we better find ourselves in that group instead of really recognizing that um god goes and grabs his people and he's full of love and i think the more familiar you can become with scripture and we're going to have another one of these where we talk about scripture and one of the questions someone asked is is it primarily a rule book or a guide for living and it's it's absolutely not it's the story of god (laughs) yeah and throughout it is the story of god and his people and there is just not a single story where it's like and i gotta tell you this one guy was he really (laughs) job maybe but but the almost everything else is just kind of israel is just absolutely failing at every turn failing to even believe in him yeah they make the golden calf yeah they they turn to idols they turn to the um yeah and then the disciples i mean the story especially the gospel of luke if if you're struggling with doubt (laughs) sit down and read the gospel of luke and read it in something like what ben's been doing the nlt yeah or the message just sit down for like an hour with a cup of coffee and just wait for the time where jesus's disciples really get it <laughs> and, and you'll get to the road to Emmaus, and you just realize, man, even Peter, you know, they he says, "Look, you are Lord." And then right after, there's this argument that breaks out where they're like, "Who's the best?" And then right after that, <laughs> Jesus says to Peter, "Get behind me." <laughs> so that should be comforting. Okay. What would you say to people who say, "Well, that was before the Holy Spirit came, and after the Holy Spirit came"? The uh, Christians in the early churches, like in Paul's letters, they didn't doubt. And the, all the people Paul was writing to, like, never never had any problems with. Well, I don't know if this counts towards whether or not they doubted. But Peter continued to mess up. He did. Even after the Holy yeah. Spirit. And had to be rebuked by Paul, Paul which it says yeah. in Galatians. So I think that's for one thing. Um, I guess I would say, you know, whether or not I'm... I'm I'm a little bit conflating theology and belief, but but the Corinthians are another example. I was going to say the church. Like, if you, that's another one. If you just want to read a story of a great, yeah. hilarious church, I mean, yeah. the the Corinthians were an absolute mess. Yeah. The things that are written, it, it yeah. Anyways. In the book of Revelation, the seven letters, they're not doing well. Well, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. None of them are doing no, well. Not. No, one of them. I can't remember yeah. which one it is. I don't even. But uh, one of them is doing okay. Yeah. And then the rest of them is basically Lukewarm. God loves you, but I have this against you. <laughs> and it's like a basic thing that you would expect a church to yeah. not be doing. So if um, you are struggling, I think there is a ton of comfort in Scripture, and um, it's something that you should fight. Mm-hmm though it is not a battle you can win on your own. Um, yeah, as far as a say? doubting person, what do I do? I think asking people to pray for you is really yeah. important. Um, 
And um, I mean, being gracious with yourself and fighting off the guilt mm-hmm. that will not help you at all to pray or to read the Bible. The guilt does not help. Yeah. So. What if you don't want to read the Bible? If you don't want to read the Bible? Yeah, what if your heart feels cold towards the Bible? Yeah, that's not uncommon at all. Um, I would pray, ask people to pray for you, and then ask like ask to read it with other people. And then like the uh, podcasts these days are amazing. Um, yeah. I, we, is it called We Worship? Um, there's one where they, it, this person reads the passage like three times. Oh, very, someone was telling me like, about this. Beautifully and quietly. And I think she's reading like the, uh, the um, New Living Translation. And there's a little bit of music in the background. And she'll just ask a few prompts. Hmm. Um, somebody text me that if you, if you know that. Um, but I think it's called We Worship. And then what was the one you found? Um, Abide is that the, the app? I don't know yeah. if that's what we were talking about, but that's an app that's we sort wonder. Of like, it's we, we wonder. wonder. Yeah. Okay. Abide is like a um, an app that's similar to Headspace, which is like a mindfulness app, but instead it's scripture, and so it's some music and they read scripture over you. Um, Wasn't Compline? Oh, Compline. That's yes. the one you told me about. Yeah, Compline. I mentioned that in the email recently. Is a Anglican practice of reading scripture and praying before you go to bed. And I think those are all really great ways. And another one, the Bible project, the Bible project. And the thing that you just mentioned in the NLT, tell us why you're doing the NLT for Romans. Romans has so much language like uh, hilasterion, which could be propitiation or expiation. And they're words that if you, they don't, they're not normal English words. So the, yeah. the new living translation is an excellent, very faithful to the Greek translation, but yeah. it's also really easy to read. There's another one called the uh, CSB. I think it's the Christian Standard Bible that's pretty new. I like the NLT a little better. I do too. But um, just, I think switching up your Bible translation can be helpful yeah. to you because the ESV and the NRSB are, are the best. They are the best Bible translations. If you're trying to figure out what it actually says, they're the most yeah. uh, faithfully close to the Greek yeah. or Hebrew, but they're difficult to read. Mm-hmm. And if the word of God is the voice of the Lord to us, then there is a, there is an aspect in which the Spirit's applying that. And some of that comes through. Um, One not, of our elders reads only from the message. And the message, I would say, is not a Bible. But because it wasn't translated by a community. Mm-hmm. However, I, I already mentioned that Eugene Peterson's my hero. And yeah. I spent a year where I was really struggling to read the Bible, only reading the message. Yeah. And it really helped because it captured the spirit of what God was trying to communicate to me. I got another uh, Lectio 365. Okay. 10 minutes of scripture and prayer. So Lectio 365. Compline. We wonder. We wonder. Compline. And this Bible project, and then the Bible project is great too. Okay, we have a couple more minutes. Um, What would you say to? um, Do you have that Psalm thirty-seven? I do. Yes. There was a certain verse you want me to read. Yeah. While you're bringing that up, I'll I'll just say one more thing, which is that a couple years ago, I also heard the phrase for the person who asked the question in a spiritual rut. You know. 
interested in how you'd encourage someone is God disappointed in them. I heard this phrase called insight-based um, quiet times. And it was criticizing this idea that quiet times should, you should sit down and get an insight. Hmm. Instead of just letting God's word pour over you and sometimes walking away and being like, well, I don't know what Lamentations was saying to me today, but I read it. <laughs> you broke the eminent frame by reading it. Yes, you did. Yeah. Oh, I like that. You know, you yeah. saw something. Beyond. Break the eminent frame. That's what reading scripture is. Yeah. yeah. Which actually brings me to another thing really quick. Apocalyptic. I just wanted to oh, find man. that word because it's getting used in the news all the time right now. That's like and one big thing right now. Apocalyptic, it comes from the Greek word apocalypsis. And, and it means like the, the removing of the veil or removing of the border. And so the apocalypse, and it, this has a lot to, this gets into tons of other stuff. But apocalypse is when like the heavenly and the earthly God and, and human, the, the, the chasm, the canyon between them is closed. Now it's come to mean like the end of the world, but that's just so you know, that's what it means in our language now, which is fine. We're not going to redefine it for people, but when you're reading apocalypse in the Bible, like for instance, revelation in Greek, it's actually called the apocalypse of John. That's the Greek title. That's talking not about the end of the world. It's talking yeah. about, so anyway, imminent frame that when you said breaking through the imminent frame, that is like the apocalypse. apocalyptic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's a whole new movement in theology that's apocalyptic too. Yeah. I've been reading books about that. That could be another time. We should talk about I that. I love that. I okay. love that subject. Yeah. Okay. So Psalm 37, 4. Yeah. What does that say? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yeah. Okay. This person, I think, has a great question because I remember hearing that quoted when I first became a Christian. If you pray, God's going to give you what you desire. And I distinctly remember it being phrased when I was in early college as relates to romantic relationships. Like if you delight yourself in God, he will give you a spouse. Not like, you know, specifically like God, if I delight in you, will Aaron be my yeah. wife? But, you know, this person's saying, how do we, you know, how do, what if, what if you, uh, what if you delight yourself in the Lord and he doesn't give you the desires of your heart and they're good desires, like healing or marriage or children and how does that affect you know doubt when we when that's read to us so yeah I could answer that without any I, th I think that um probably he will give you the desires of your heart is um not saying that he will give you whatever you want but more like he will conform your desires to their appropriate object, which is God. Yeah. So it's almost like um, saying the same thing in different ways. Like delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart and your true desires are for him. Mm -hmm. um, so you just delight yourself in the Lord and you will find your delight more and more in the Lord. Yeah. I don't see that in any way as um, like a promise that you're going to get what you want if you, if you just delight in the Lord. Yeah. There's a lot of Proverbs and Psalms that are not promises. They are general wisdom too. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm guessing this person's asking this question because they're feeling brokenhearted. Yeah. So when I, I think what you were saying, 
if you read this in context, it says, trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Which actually, this is the CSB. I don't like how that's trans. I'm guessing it's what you said, which is that he will give to your heart its desires. Yeah. Meaning that your heart will receive desires from God. And then the reciprocal of that is that it's, but it's not, the, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't work both ways that you are not delighting in God if you are not receiving the desires of your heart. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And in fact, God probably weeps with you and is yeah. sad about that because that is a function of this non-apocalyptic <laughs> world. Yeah. Someone texted, uh, what if your desires are not conformed to God? Hmm. And it seems like... Um, I mean, it seems like he's just saying uh, it's a command, like delight yourself in the Lord. Keep keep fighting to delight in him. And the more you delight in him, the more your desires will be for him. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just saw that. And I, I think that that question backs up exactly what you're saying, because I think there are people who have, uh, whether their desires for addiction or... Um, or just something that is unhealthy for them. They, the fact that they desire to, that they want to fight those, um, is evidence that the Lord is putting those desires on their heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that person who wants his desires to be conformed more to God, that desire itself is already beginning to be, yeah, moving towards God. I guess one other thing to wrap that up would be to say that there is not an equal spectrum that of suffering in that. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people who have a lot of the desires of their heart, not, not necessarily the desires the Lord has put on their heart, but they just have everything they want. Mm -hmm. And the Lord is close to those who don't yeah and it, it's probably hard for us as white men who are married with children yeah to speak that truth but it does seem to be throughout scripture that the the ones who are like bereft and poor and and, and humble and needy and weak there's a special uh, mm -hmm. affection god has for them or closeness or they're experiencing something about god that others don't um, so in the kingdom of God, there's a, that is a very cherished group lifted up by God, um, just mm -hmm. throughout the whole Bible, the poor, you know, sometimes called the poor, but that's really not poverty, mostly in the Bible. It's what we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. People who did not get, uh, or have not gotten many of the desires of their heart. Mm -hmm. Those who grieve. Yeah. Like that that's song we sang, um. Second song. Rise Up? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to circle it all the way back, and I'll let you have the final word, is um, that God is close to those who struggle to believe as well. Mm -hmm. That's why Jesus came close to Peter and gave him vocation after he denied him and said, feed my sheep yeah. three times. 
And it's also where the parable of the 99 comes in. So for those who are 99 and one lost sheep. So if you're feeling um, either like God has neglected you or neglected justice, there's, there's good news that in the long term, he does bend the arc of history towards redemption. Definitely. Mm-hmm. You want the final word? Uh, I thought you were going to quote that one. I think it's Psalm 34. He's God is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. And that, um, yeah, there's the, the, the kingdom. I mean, not, Paul says, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you uh, were noble or, um, um, you know, were considered great in the world's eyes. But God chose us weak and foolish and what is it, no account. Um, so that just seems to be the nature of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's very, it's like an upside down kingdom. Yeah. And I would say doubters, you know, we don't think about that one, but that's a group I think also hmm. that you could throw in there. Mm-hmm. And some of the people who are may, maybe who are very angry at Christians and like hmm. really upset and read a lot about this, like all how, how the bad things religion has done, they might actually, like they care so much. Um, I just wonder if they aren't more engaged with God than someone uh, who is just completely caught up in the imminent frame. Like they don't mm. just don't care. Oh man, that makes me want to ask you about Tom Holland. Oh, I love Tom Holland. Have I read- just started reading Dominion, Dominion because of you. Yes. Goodness gracious. Okay. Is that not great? Well, next week, why don't we talk, why don't we extend the doubt conversation Okay. and talk about church history and yeah. Dominion and there's, I think some other questions in here that can fit into that. You want to say anything about Tom Holland? Close, just... I don't know much about him. I just okay. started it. I'm okay. about a quarter of the way in. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you want to say? Well, I thought you were alluding to the fact that he is an agnostic. Okay. See, I, I had heard that, but I yeah. didn't know. Yeah, he was a very strong atheist. And then, um, well, I won't go into his whole story, but he's starting go to move back. Okay, he was an, a strong atheist, and he was, but he was raised as a Christian. He rejected all that. Probably because he loved dinosaurs so much. And he just found out, like, these couldn't have been on the ark. He was raised in a very fundamentalist household. Yeah. He loves dinosaurs. And then he started to love all the empires Mm -hmm. who reminded him of dinosaurs. And just, they were just crushing and, like, violent. Wow. And he just loved that whole, like, the biggest, strongest win. So he loved the Assyrians, the Babylonians. He wrote books about these empires, the Romans. Yeah. And then after writing those books, he was like, wait a minute. I don't actually think I would like any of those people. That I, if I actually met them, I would be a little scared to meet those people, hmm. like these great emperors and stuff like that. And then he started to realize the world he lives in is not at all like those empires. And he's like, there's a chasm. Yeah. Something happened where there was this chasm. He started investigating that chasm and he realized the game changer was Jesus. Yeah. And that those who, be, those who began to worship a crucified God, it just blew up the whole empire thing. So. Have you read Atheist Delusions by no, David Bentley Hart? I've heard that's great. It's very similar. So, oh, is it really? Yeah. Well, he's basically, we can get into it next week. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, I think we should also at some point talk about The Last Dance. 
and oh, man. Are different interpretations of Michael Jordan. I think that's. Do we have different ones. Well, I left liking him more, and apparently no one else did except for people who went to Carolina. <laughs> and you did not, and nor did Tim Duncan. Tim Duncan didn't like Jordan. Uh, he came out and said that uh, he is not, he has never been impressed by Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from a guy who has maybe put how many quotes publicly in like, twenty years. Like, There's a great quote about uh, he was playing this center for Duke, Greg, somebody who said uh, this guy claimed that he was going to be better than Duncan and like he's going to he's going to destroy Duncan when they played. So Duncan like dominated him. And after the game, they said, what do you think? What did you think about Greg? So-and-so. He's like, he's the greatest player ever played against. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's so he's always great. had a very yeah, dry sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, y'all have a great week, yeah. and uh, we'll see you.